This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hello, welcome to The Country Hour today. I'm Cassie Huff with you. Now, if you've been listening to the ABC Radio this morning, you've probably heard it's International Women's Day today. Well, agriculture is a field where women have contributed enormously, but often in the background. So today we're celebrating some of the roles that women are now stepping into, including field mechanics and how they're perceived. There are a lot more females coming into the game, which is awesome to see because, you know, the more we get and the more girls that are good at the job and can prove that we can do it just as well as the boys, you know, it gives us a good good name to start with. Absolutely. I was actually surprised to hear how many uh, mechanics are coming through, uh, big uh, tractors and uh, farm machinery. A lot of women are starting to come through in that area, so we'll hear from them soon. But first up today, uh, Dairy Australia have released their yearly outlook for 2023, and they're forecasting an overall optimistic few months ahead. Dairy Australia's industry analyst Eliza Redfern says despite higher retail prices and financial pressure facing consumers, dairy remains a staple product with 67, sorry, 97% of households having dairy products in their fridges. But she says the current forecast suggests the Australian milk pool will reduce by 4 to 6% this season. Eliza Redfern says that this contracted market will boost Australia's dairy commodity prices compared with other exporting countries. Dairy is very much still a staple product um, in Australia. Uh, it's about roughly uh, 97% of Australian households um, actually consume dairy. So that's quite a substantial amount of Australian households are purchasing it and consuming it. And it's still very much a loved product. So despite seeing that the volume sold of milk, butter and cheese have declined, we're also seeing that the volumes of yogurt sold um, has been rising as well. And we're seeing that consumers are you know, looking for ways to mitigate higher living costs in this current time of high inflation and we're seeing actually that, you know, purchasing private label products is a really key cost-saving strategy. And what are some of the contributing factors to that? Obviously, inflation and cost of living pressures are present in Australia at the moment, but Coles and Woolies also upped their milk prices in the last 12 months too. I think a lot of it is just driven by, you know, that what, inflation is really quite widespread. It's across all different types of products, so it's not just around dairy, everything price for everything is quite high at the moment. And I think, you know, considering with just high living costs in general, people are looking for ways to to try and save money. Um, of course, you know, with dairy being such a staple product, consumers aren't willing to, you know, to forego that. They, they do like to consume it in whatever way that is. Um, and, you know, in order for them to be able to keep consuming dairy, part of that is looking for cheaper products on the shelves. You know, those private label products are, are typically cheaper than the branded products on the shelf. So, yeah, consumers will, will gravitate more towards those products because they are at a lower cost. What's the milk production outlook for this year? Is it going up or going down? 
So currently Dairy Australia is forecasting that Australia's milk pool will contract uh, between 4 to 6%. And there's a couple of different factors out here. There's, a, there's quite a few medium-term constraints. So whether that's you know, around labour challenges and around worker shortages, uh, competition for land and resources, farm exits and cullings, but there's also the more immediate challenges that we've been seeing this season around the wet weather conditions and then flooding across multiple dairying regions as well. And is it a similar situation for dairy farmers overseas? Yes, so the situation is a little bit different overseas at the moment. You know, um, if we're talking about the key exporting regions, so parts of the US, Europe, then also in New Zealand, um, they're also experiencing some labour shortages, but they are seeing, you know, some production growth. And this is compared to lower comparable figures from last season, uh, but they are seeing some growth. And as a result, there has been, you know, increased exportable product um, on the market currently. And coupled with that quieter demand globally, we have seen that global commodity value have fallen. And what does that mean for Australian exports? Essentially, at this point in time, global demand is on the quieter side, particularly when we think about, you know, what's happening with China and with their their COVID policies. And they have reopened, but the importing has been uh, impacted because of that, you know, that that implication on their domestic consumption. Um, So essentially what we're seeing is that Australian prices are still quite firm because we do have limited product availability, despite the fact that global commodities have been falling. So dairy farmers around Australia can be optimistic for the next 12 months? Yes, so I think, you know, considering what's happening with the global situation, there's a lot of volatility out there and things can change pretty quickly. Um, at this point in time, we're seeing that high retail values um, or prices are, are injecting significant value back through the dairy supply chain. Um, and at this point in time, export commodities do remain quite firm. You mentioned earlier the volumes of cheese and butter have been falling as far as how much consumers are buying, but yogurt is increasing. Is that due to health concerns or what, what's the reason for that? Typically, consumption of yogurt has really been supported by the fact that it's a really healthy and nutritious product. But the other side of that is that it's usually, um, you know, conveniently packed. It's in smaller pack sizes. Uh, people can purchase that. They can consume it at home or it's, it's quite easy to consume on the go. So part of this is also, I guess, a bit of normalisation as where, you know, there's people are working from home, they're going back to the office. So there's, as sort of people find that balance, they're, you know, consuming and, and supporting that yogurt purchasing. Dairy Australia's industry analyst Eliza Redfin speaking with Jane McNaughton. Now, as I was saying, it's International Women's Day and uh, we're looking at different jobs that uh, women are doing and the role of a field technician is constantly changing as the machinery continues to evolve with technology. Technicians have to evolve with them and Laura Williams spoke with three John Deere technicians, Jamie Island, Emma Holmberg and Ebony Wilkins to see what life looks like for a field technician in 2023 and she started by asking Jamie how she got into the job. Um, Well I actually started doing a certificate three in aviation maintenance but my circumstances changed where I was living and I wasn't able to continue doing that. So I had to look for something else that I could continue that mechanics working in. I did a couple of work experiences with some ag mechanics that specialise, yeah, working, going out in fields and working on the tractors in, in the field. And then they mentioned that Emmett's were looking for an apprentice. Um, so I applied there and, yeah, I got the job and just been working there ever since. So. It does seem like almost a niche career. I know when I was in high school, it wasn't really something that was, I suppose, marketed towards me. Was it thrown to you as a, oh, would you consider entering this or did you have to seek it out on your own? Uh, I know that I sort of had to like seek it out because 
when we're in school, a lot of the stuff that we sort of were looking at was all more uni. There wasn't so much, you know, this is an apprenticeship that's available. It was all what uni course do you want to do? Like apprenticeships, I don't think they're actually pushed enough during school because I didn't even really consider it an option until later on. And what about you, Emma? Um, I was in the Navy for six years as Marine Tech and I did the same thing. I applied for uni. Um, I didn't want to go to uni and got into uni and knew I was going to the Navy. So I went to the Navy and that was a tech role. Yeah, I didn't come out with a trade. So I really wanted to get my trade and, and that's basically how I got the job. So is being interested in agriculture a prerequisite for the job? I kind of assumed it starts off as you love ag and you go from there looking for a job, but it sounds like you all found it in, in different kind of ways. Yeah, I think having an interest in ag, it helps a lot in the role, just having um, some kind of background in it but me myself like I haven't didn't grow up on a farm or anything so I'd I just sort of fell in it and it seems like the other girls are sort of in the same same position I actually grew up on a farm for yeah my whole life so that's how I decided I wanted to do it what are the best parts of the job I think like getting to go and meet the farmers and you know having talks with them about you know what they think is the best equipment or the worst equipment you know what advantages and disadvantages all the different machines have is like quite interesting to listen to them and you know hear their opinions on the flip side to that what are some of I suppose the challenges that maybe you didn't anticipate when you entered the field I think one of my biggest challenges was being not as strong as the boys you know lifting things and cracking bolts all that sort of thing I've obviously found some kind of advantage like mechanically and overcome that but that's definitely been one of the biggest struggles I've had. For me, being out in the field, when I roll up on a farm uh, and I meet meet the farmer for the first time, if I haven't done any work for him before and he doesn't know me, just that initial introduction, like they're not used to having females out there as much. So then they're not sure whether they can trust you straight away. Some have said that to my face, you know, or made comments like, oh, are you coming on your own? You bring someone, you know, that knows what they're doing or sort of thing. So there's a lot of trying to overcome that stereotype that, you know, females can do it too. How does it feel to prove them wrong? Oh, it's a great feeling. Like they definitely change their whole view on it afterwards. They think it's great work. And some of them after that, when you prove them wrong, they ask for me to come back um, next time instead of anyone else. So that's a great feeling. Yeah, I bet. And just on that, this week is International Women's Day. It feels like panels like these where it's all women and it's the question I suppose you're expected to ask is, what's it like to be a woman in the field? It's so male dominated. Is that a question we still need to ask? I think there's definitely still work to do, but there are a lot more females coming into the game, which is awesome to see because, you know, the more we get and the more girls that are good at the job and can prove that we can do it just as well as the boys you know it gives us a good good name to start with I think um, a lot of farmers are like very keen for females like I've had a lot of encounters where you know they're like oh my god there's like there's a female this is amazing you know she's going to be so good and you have like this instant high standard which is like great it's so entertaining to see you know them being all supportive and it's almost like they take you under their wing. They're like, you know, you're going to be good. You don't, you know, you don't have to question it. You know, they're really supportive. Um, I'm the same. I've had like positive experiences with farmers. A lot of them possibly go a bit far over the top when 
they see a girl come on site, they're just constantly like, this is so good that there's a female um, apprentice. And I just think females can bring a lot to the job. They're so much more articulate, but then they just go over the top and it makes it kind of awkward as well. <laughs> that that was uh, uh, field technician uh, Jamie Island, Emma Holmberg and Ebony Wilkins speaking with Laura Williams. It is 16 minutes past 12 on the Country Hour. And we will move along to uh, another element of the International Women's Day. And one industry says that it's committed to acquiring a diverse, inclusive and equitable workforce. And that is our timber industry. According to the South Australian Forest Products Association, SAFPA, one of its members, has already reached a 50-50 gender ratio in their workplace and others are working towards it. Chair of SAFPA's Governing Council, Tammy Ald, says she didn't plan to go into the timber industry but has found it an excellent place to work. So probably a little bit surprising for most uh, growing up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, not a lot of forest around there directly, but, um, yeah, really loved geography, um, loved maths, those sorts of subjects at school, um, and, yeah, took an interest in forest management uh, Towards the end of my schooling career, I guess, uh, decided to do forestry at Melbourne Uni and, and study the course there. Um, I had a love of science at school as well, so um, some really good opportunities there, I guess, to, to work in sustainable a sustainable industry. That's what I was keen for, but also an interest in the commercial as well. So a good combination of both of those. So. That's what led you here. Yeah, that's right. So once I'd finished my uh, studies in Melbourne, uh, I was actually lucky enough to get a graduate position here in Mount Gambier. Um, I started with Forestry SA a long time ago now, <laughs> it seems like. And yeah, I've been here ever since. So yeah, really loving the industry here. As I say, it presents a whole lot of opportunities for people, both com- a combination of that sort of sustainable industry with the commercial as well. At the time, how did you view it? Was it a place where there were lots of other women? Was it welcoming to women? Did you see it at the time as something a non-traditional industry for a woman to, to work in? Yeah, it was interesting because our course at uni was actually about 50-50 women and men. So, but yeah, once I entered the workforce, that was very different. And a number of my, you know, the, the people I studied with today, uh, I'd suggest that more of the, the men that I studied with are still in the industry operationally uh, than the women. So yeah, it's, uh, but certainly when I entered the workforce, the, the women in the industry were few and far between, but I was very fortunate to have some really strong mentors in those that were in, involved. And yeah, it's something that I'm realising more and more every day, I guess, is that you you, know, you need to be able to see those role models so that you can follow in their footsteps. Have you seen a bit of a shift in the makeup of the workplace over the years that you've been in it? Is it, is it something where you now see perhaps a, a lot more women in the industry and in a variety of roles as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so particularly as the industry takes on more technology, yeah, a lot of what we do is science-based, it is tech-based. Yeah, there's a lot less manual labour than there was before. Uh, yeah, we use a lot of machinery and equipment and even just flexible hours of work and those sorts of things have allowed more and more females to enter the industry. And yeah, having said all of that, I've, I've never felt like I was an outsider in the industry. Yeah, the industry has always been really welcoming. By nature, we, we are an industry full of people who are really passionate about what we do and really encouraging and supportive. So yeah, I think that's definitely helped to to encourage more women into the industry as well. Yeah, and a diverse industry because I guess when it comes to trying encouraging more women to look at the the timber and forestry industry for careers, I guess it is about uh, that perception. Is that something that uh, you know does need to to make sure that 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 perception of it is a certain type of role uh, is overcome? That there there is a variety of roles and people might not or might have an expectation about what a timber worker does or looks like, but within the industry itself, there is actually quite a, a variety. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think it's it's interesting, as you say, and, and very much a realisation I've made recently is that yeah, we do form our perceptions based on what we see. So, um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone who's working in the industry, I guess, to, to continue to talk about what they do and, and to demonstrate to other people and don't be afraid to, uh, yeah, put yourself out there, I guess, to demonstrate that there are a number of different jobs that we can do and different people are doing them. So, mm. yeah, we, we can only become what we see and what we know is available. So <laughs> the more we can talk about it, the better. Um, and as I say, there's a huge diversity of roles, whether it's, uh, yeah, working in the office. Yeah, like any industry, we, we also have accountants and, and HR professionals and safety professionals within our businesses. So, uh, yeah, the more, I guess, traditional industries. And as you touched on before, how valuable and, and vital is it to have those mentors and to have those role, role models in the industry? Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. And it doesn't matter what industry, what gender, what race, uh, what age, whatever that you are, it's always important, I think, to have people that you can have conversations with that can challenge you and that can ask you and, and, and provide you with guidance on, on which direction you want to head. So, yeah, as I say, there's there's a number of fabulous women and men working in our industry and I encourage them all to, to share their time with others to try and develop the future workforce as well. SAFPA Governing Council Chair Tammy Old speaking with Selena Green. And we'll have more on International Women's Day coming up in the next half hour. But we'll get the results from the Dublin markets now. John Traeger has the results. Good afternoon. Numbers increased this week as agents offered 7,200 lambs and 3,000 sheep. Few ideally conditioned lambs came forward. At Storm Merino lambs again made up a bulk of the numbers. Competition was generally subdued throughout the market with the best of the trade and export weight lambs easing $10 to $15 and more in places. Store merino lambs were generally of inferior quality and these eased by as much as $20 a head due mainly to the lack of quality. Mutton quality was again good with most weights and grades on offer to see generally good competition see a marginal increase in prices. Extremely light young lambs sold from 68 to 122. Light weight sold from 115 to 125 with a few ideal trade weights making from $150 to $160. Light older lambs sold from 50 to 90. Medium weights range from 100 to 145, with heavyweights selling from 150 to $205. The few extreme heavyweights sold from 178 to $225 per head. Hoggets sold from 110 to 138, with light mutton selling from 56 to $98 per head. Medium weight mutton sold from 90 to 128, with heavyweights ranging from 112 to $130 per head. There were few, too few cattle on offer for a meaningful quotation. This is John Traeger at the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thanks for that, John. And Peter Kerr has the results from the Mount Gambier cattle market. Good afternoon, Cassie. This is the Mount Gambier cattle report for the 8th of March. Numbers rose as agents had a 669 head of buyers laid an open auction cattle. These sold to the usual field of trade and processed the buyers along with feeder and restocker interest. Quality was mixed with something to suit all orders as the market sold at cheaper rates. Fearless steers attracted the trade from 391 to 497 cents with feeder activity to 394 and restockers operating from 332 to 425. Fearless heifers sold to trade orders from 333 to 485 with feeder support to 340 and restocker interest from 333 to 385 cents a kilogram. Yielding steers made from 342 to 410 cents, similar heifers from 335 to 430. Feeders operated on steers from 361 to 384 cents and on the heifers from 330 to 370 as restockers sought both sexes from 285 up to 430 cents a kilogram. 
Crown Sears and Bully Seas, 18 cents. They return from 330 to 380 with feeder support from 350 to 384. Growing nippers dropped 20 cents to range from 285 to 368. Feeder activity from 333 to 360. As manufacturing steers range from 300 to 336 cents a kilogram. Heavy cows eased 4 cents. They made from 285 to 314. Lighter size reaching 260 as heavy bulls mostly returned from 230 to 270 cents with an isolated sale at 300 cents a kilogram. This has been Peter Kerr for the MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks for that, Peter Kerr there. We'll head across to the Bureau of Meteorology now. Senior forecaster Vince Rollins joins me. Good afternoon. Hello, Cassie. How widespread has this rainfall been? It was quite uh, wet in some parts. Yeah, look, in some parts uh, we did get some good rainfall. Look, it's mainly just been over the southern agricultural area and really when you look at the, the map, the, the highest falls have been around the Mount Lofty ranges, parts of the, the mid-north. And we did get some good falls over parts of York Peninsula and the, the southeast as well, but not too much around uh, the Air Peninsula and West Coast where we uh, the highest falls we saw there was uh, around 2.8 millimetres at Coulter. But, uh, yeah, we ended up with uh, highest falls, as I mentioned, around the Mount Lofty Ranges where we saw some falls get up to around 30 millimetres. Uh, around Mount Gamby we had 11 millimetres. Uh, Port Victoria on the York Peninsula got 7.2 millimetres and in the mid-north the highest there was 7.2 as well at Satterworth. But still a little bit on the radar uh, over, yeah, particularly again over the Mount Lofty Ranges and, uh, and the mid-north but still expecting just the odd shower about the southern agricultural area today and then as we head into the evening contracting southwards to mainly southern coasts and, and ranges. And uh, then as we head into tomorrow, still a little bit around those areas in the morning, but by the time we get into the uh, afternoon tomorrow, we should see that rainfall uh, clearing. So, yeah, looking at uh, mainly fine conditions after that, maybe a little bit of rainfall around the southeast uh, as we head into Sunday. But uh, with this added moisture around, uh, next couple of mornings could see some patchy fog perhaps over some of the, the western districts. Uh, and then on Friday morning, again in the western districts and around the, the southeast. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, just uh, cool conditions again today. Um, just as we head into tomorrow, conditions temperatures just slowly starting to to warm up a little bit but it's really from Friday and then over the weekend that we'll see temperatures uh, really kicking off uh, over the western northern parts of the state where we'll see a return to uh, some temperatures getting into the high 30s and that's uh, due to the winds going a bit more northerly um, ahead of a trough that is going to move over inland parts over the weekend so we will see those northerlies continue through Friday Saturday um, initially on Sunday in some parts ahead of that a uh, bit of a weak change as it moves through. So we will see temperatures uh, as we head into uh, the latter part of the weekend behind that trough, just uh, easing a little bit around the coastal fringes, but uh, remaining pretty hot in the north. But then as we head into uh, sort of early next week, we'll see winds go round uh, again to the northeast and pushing those temperatures back up a little bit around coastal fringes. So basically looking at uh, warm to hot conditions um, over the south and uh, yeah, hot to, to very hot in parts in the north of the state. But as I mentioned, not much on the, the horizon as far as rainfall goes. Once we get through 
today and tomorrow morning. Not much happening apart from just a risk about the, as I mentioned, the southeast on Sunday. So rainfall totals really not looking at a great deal. Probably see maybe another few millimetres about some parts today, particularly the Mount Lofty Ranges and Mid-North. But once we get through today, we're probably only looking at uh, another millimetre or two wherever we do see showers over the next few days. So, yeah, really just uh, generally looking at temperatures warming, becoming fine uh, in the south, maybe a little bit of fog around in parts over the next few mornings, but uh, other than that, not looking too bad. So the uh, the long weekend across the state is looking pretty good, certainly with temperatures picking up a little bit in dry conditions. It should be a great weekend for getting out uh, and enjoying this uh, great autumn weather, Cassie. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Vince, yes, it certainly feels like the, the change in the season is upon us with this uh, cool change that we're going through. Thanks so much for that. No worries. Vince Rollins there. In the far west of New South Wales, the upper western will be sunny tomorrow. Overnight temperatures will fall to between 13 and 17 degrees, but the daytime temperatures will reach 26 to 32 degrees. The lower western will be sunny overnight there. It's going to fall to 8 to 12 but again, the daytime temperatures reaching the mid-20s. We've got more to come on the Country Hour, focusing in this next half hour on uh, some of the areas where women are making inroads in agriculture. That's all coming up between 12.30 and 1. We are approaching 12.30, though, on the Country Hour. You're listening to the Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff. Hello, it's great to have your company today for International Women's Day. Now, uh, everyone is aware, I'm sure, of the, the contribution that women have made to agriculture through the ages and across countries, but sometimes a little in the background. But these days, more and more women are coming forward in leadership roles or being seen more prominently in areas where perhaps it was a more traditionally male-oriented role. So we're going to look at that in the next half hour because change is rippling through these traditionally male-dominated in, um, industries as young females use their go-getter attitudes to their advantage. It's definitely female dominated. It's changed over the years. It used to be male predominantly, but yeah, it's there's scarce scarce males around, which is so good to see. <laughs> so that was a vet. We'll hear from vets. We'll hear from other industries as well in the next half hour. But first, we have to find out what's making the latest in news headlines with Matt Coleman. Good afternoon. Hello, Cassie. In the news this afternoon, the Reserve Bank Governor has indicated that the board is considering a pause after 10 consecutive interest rate rises, but the timing would depend on incoming economic data. The central bank delivered a quarter of a percentage point rate increase yesterday to take the cash rate to 3.6%. The SA government says there's been a big drop in the number of NDIS patients stuck in the state's hospital system. In August, there were 67 NDIS patients in hospital for 100 days or more. While awaiting discharge, the number has now fallen to 37. And the Premier says plans are being finalised for how a special ceremonial Sunday sitting may look once the final vote is in for the statewide Indigenous voice to Parliament. The bill would create a body elected by Indigenous South Australians that can address Parliament, Cabinet and Government executives. Debate began on the lower house yesterday. More news at one o'clock. 
Thanks for that, Matt Coleman. There now, as I said, we're talking about women in agriculture and uh, this SA produce market might be a fairly male-dominated area, but today the market hosted an International Women's Day breakfast to just show the strides women are making in this state in horticulture and indeed around the world because women make up about 43% of the world's agricultural workforce. They're key to fighting hunger, poverty and malnutrition. The European Union's Commissioner for International Cooperation and Development actually said if women were given access to the same resources as men, there would be 150 million fewer hungry people in the world. Now that is astounding and it plays into the theme of International Women's Day. Now Joyce Taravolo and Joanna Andrew are two women who are leaders in the horticulture sector. Uh, They shared their insight with other women this morning at the SA Produce Market and I have been able to catch up with them. I'll start with Joyce Taravolo. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Tell me a little bit about your role at the markets and in the Next Gen Group. Uh, yeah, I'm on the I'm the chair of the Next Gen board in the market, and we are a board of almost half men, half women, which is exciting. And the purpose of that board is to essentially educate and build capacity in the next generation of leaders here, so that when the time comes to pass over actual board positions, we have people that are well trained and understand what they're doing and have a really good understanding of good governance, uh, which our skills traditionally in horticulture that can be lacking in your leaders. So yeah, we're also uh, responsible for upsetting the apple cart and uh, pushing through things that wouldn't otherwise go through here in the market because we have lots of lovely people from the generation up who are um, having to start make changes to allow our generation to come through. So yeah, that's my job in the market. Horticulture isn't alone in doing that. That's it. Joanna Andrew is the chairman of the SA Produce Market as well. Good afternoon. What's your role here? Uh, thank you. Yes, um, as you just mentioned, I'm the chairman of South Australian Produce Markets and um, I'm the first female chairman here, so hopefully the first of very many in the future to come. Uh, and I'm also a partner of Mella Olson Lawyers, which is an agribusiness South Australian legal firm. The theme of International Women's Day this year is embracing equality. Equality means can mean different things to different people. How do you see equality playing out in your role and the work that you're trying to do here at the SA Produce Market, Joyce? I think in terms of equality, the biggest, most glaring thing for me has been uh, farmers not naming their businesses XXX and Sons anymore, which is a massive deal and it doesn't seem like a big thing, but the reality is, you know, that... They're welcoming their daughters as part of farming businesses that have traditionally only been passed down through sons. I think another beacon of change has been Joanna and women on boards, specifically in horticulture and farming. You can't be what you can't see. So having people like Joanna who are taken seriously, who encourage other women to take on similar roles has been super, super important. And that's where we're seeing foundational change. And how important is it not just for women to step into traditionally male roles, but also for women to bring men into their world as well? Um, For for me in terms of coming together uh, uh, is actually just being really down to earth, transparent and open about everyone's different struggles Um, because what I may be struggling with one month, uh, my male or female colleague may be struggling with as well. So being able to provide that assistance, help, support and empathy I think is really important to be able to uh, enable everyone to be able to grow and work together. And Joyce, I mean, you 
notice that I'm wearing a nursing top. I, I'm pregnant and, uh, and you noticed that. And you brought that up, not just in a, in a women's space, but around men as well. How, how important is it to, to bring men into women's world? I think it's important for men to feel as uncomfortable as we do, to be honest, every day. We're always put in situations where we're not, as women, 100% comfortable. And the reality is women work while they're breastfeeding, while they've got young babies, and it shouldn't be an issue. Um, I'm not allowed, I'm not sure if I can tell this story, but... Uh, you will uh, anyway. <laughs> I will anyway. When I had my second baby... I was back at work when he was 11 weeks old and I was pumping a lot uh, and I used to pump in my next-gen meetings in the market and with my own generation, it's not an issue. No-one batted an eyelid. Um, In another board meeting, I won't mention what it was, with a lot of older gentlemen, one of the gentlemen turned around and said, oh, that makes me really uncomfortable. And I was like, well, actually, you know, having rock-hard boobs uh, full of milk makes me really uncomfortable, so I think probably my discomfort outweighs yours. (laughs) So... It's important to have those conversations. It's important for them to understand our struggles as well because if you're not living it, you often don't understand the intricacies. So sharing that is what empowers everyone to bring equity. It's, it's wonderful to talk about this on International Women's Day, but what is needed to actually take it out of the, the morning teas and the, the great experiences that people have? It's very important, but to have that taken forward and make this day meaningful in the broader sense. So I think people... We need to view the way we do International Women's Day differently and view it as this is the start of a conversation, women getting together, networking, empowering each other, and we should be doing this on an ongoing basis, not in this, like, structure, like, so large, but um, it should be viewed as, like, let's network, let's have discussions about our struggles, let's share things and let's empower each other because that's what International Women's Day is about. It's about bringing us all up. And Joanna, how do you see International Women's Day being taken forward beyond just the day? I look forward to the day when we celebrate International Women's Day to look back on our four mothers um, and all of the um, struggles that they went through. Um, and I spoke this morning about my own mother um, and not being able and denied a university education despite being ridiculously smart. So I hope and I look forward to the day when International Women's Day is more about looking back on the past and what, our, what we did and our generation and our previous generations did to bring uh, equity um, and also with the support of our male um, counterparts too uh, and that it's seen as more of a past celebration, not something that we need to continue to work on. So that's my real hope for International Women's Day. What's your advice for women who aspire to perhaps be CEOs or chairs of organisations or perhaps just want to take on a leadership role in some capacity? Well, your world's your oyster. That's the first piece of advice. Um, And seek help. And don't be afraid to put your hand up to say, I can do something. Um, Always seek out a mentor. Um, Have have people, both male and female. Um, I've got some fabulous male mentors. I have you know, four fabulous male partners um, who support me and have that real support base around you so that you can then exceed um, and, and do whatever you like. You can, honestly, the world is your oyster. There's no limits. Absolutely. And Joyce, what would your advice be to women on International Women's Day? Um, I'll stick to what I know, which is horticulture. The ladder of success is not a ladder. It's a game of snakes and ladders. And there's a lot of snakes and there's a lot of ladders that are disguised as snakes and we should be 
taking things as a journey, not a destination. So you learn things, you share them with the women around you. Um, you make sure they don't encounter the same snakes on their journey because when we lift one of us, we lift all of us. And women lift up communities and the data is there to say when you, you teach women how to do X, Y, Z, they teach all of the people around them. That's how we are. We're community making. So um, my advice is to share with other women to enjoy the game of snakes and ladders because it's not always fun. It is difficult, especially in horticulture. Um, you have limited control over weather, money, all sorts of things. But yeah, ultimately, just enjoy it. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with me today on International Women's Day. It, it was a wonderful opportunity to network. As you say, it'd be great to one day look back on International Women's Day and be able to see just how far you've come in even five, ten years. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Some wisdom there from Joyce Taravlo, the chair of the Next Gen Committee at the SA Produce Market, and Joanna Andrew, the chair of the SA Produce Market as well, two women who are leaders in a, in a traditionally rather male-dominated area. And uh, it's not really uh, about either or, it's just about bringing different skills to the, the table there, and they had some great insights there to speak about. And we'll continue with this theme on International Women's Day. Demetria Panagiotaris is actually catching up with a woman making a difference in an industry that needs a bit of support. Western Australian Heather Jones is the owner of Pilbara Heavy Haulage Girls, a company that specialises in training women to become professional heavy vehicle drivers. Now, her truck training school is the only one that exists in the country, and Heather today is using it to highlight the industry and the women in it. And uh, Demetria Panagiotaris is in Port Pirie this afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey Cass, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And you've got Heather there with you. How are things going? I do indeed. Yeah, I've been very lucky this morning uh, on this International Women's Day meeting and getting to know Heather, who's a bit of an icon in the trucking world. She, she just rolled her eyes. She's just very humble. Um, she's on her way back home to Western Australia, but has stopped by in Port Pirie to touch base with some of the trucking community um, and meet a few locals. Actually, I, I just heard a moment ago that a woman's travelled from Adelaide to meet her. So um, I've got quite the celebrity next to me. But just before we start really delving in and having a bit of a chat, Heather, um, I've got to just acknowledge the beautiful pink, uh, I don't want to say beast, but it is a bit of a beast behind you. Um, I assume this truck is more than a vehicle to you. What, what does driving a pink truck like that signify? Well, it signifies a lot of things. Um, number one is empowerment. Uh, number two, um, it brings a fair bit of notoriety to, to women in the industry. And number three, uh, for our driver, for our learner drivers, you can see them coming from a mile away. Yeah, indeed you can. It's 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 a beautiful looking, beautiful looking truck. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about a bit of a challenge you created, which was called "Are You Tough Enough?" What was the purpose behind that, and, and what happened there? Well, we had one of the um, CEOs come for a drive with us in the Pilbara, and as you all know, it's quite hot up there and quite challenging. And um, he threw the challenge out uh, for us to invite ministers and anyone who has a portfolio or any interest or anything to do with um, trucking or safety, road safety or anything. Are you tough enough to put on a pink shirt, hop in a pink truck and travel through the Pilbara with Heather? So are you tough enough? And uh, what was the purpose behind that, getting them in the truck? Uh, and I guess, obviously, almost 
you know, stepping in, in a mile in your shoes. But what, what else was the purpose behind that? Well, we've found, you know, the saying, you don't know what you don't know. And we found that people who are sometimes placed in the decision-making process don't have a clue about um, trucking, uh, the challenges we face, the issues that we need to deal with every single day. So if they come out in the truck with us for a day or two or three, by the end of that time, they really get it. And then we get changes to legislation or uh, road improvements or rest area improvements or changes to things that we really, really need in our industry. And one of those things that you really, really need in the industry was highlighted to them. Can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about the very clever and creative way you highlighted that issue? So for many, many years, we've been suffering with uh, a lack of toilet facilities for all drivers. So when I've got a decision maker in the truck with me, I ply them with coffee. I feed them probably four or five cups and then we take them over the bumpiest roads. And then when they need to go to the bathroom, we give them a couple of spin effects to hop behind. So after that, we normally get what we need. Yeah, they feel our pain. Um, what other challenges do you see, I guess, not only for women in the industry, but for men as well? Um, So the issue that we're addressing is the lack of driver training after licensing to actually being a qualified truck driver. Now, um, all the truck drivers out there, I know you say that it takes 30 years to learn our trade, and yes, it does, but... Um, the licensing system at the moment doesn't produce job-ready drivers. So we fill that gap by um, putting our newly licensed drivers out in the truck with us for a month. And we're a real-life transport company. We do side tippers, end tippers, uh, single, double, triple general freight um, and 50-tonne, 100-tonne float work, uh, which is moving very heavy and large machines. And we've also got pilot vehicles as well. So we put the new driver in that um, environment. We put them in the pilot vehicle so that at the end of that month uh, that they're with us, they've probably had more exposure and education in all the facets of our industry than someone who perhaps has driven for 20 years in one line of, say, end tippers. And it was quite alarming for me to find out that you're the only training school in the country that's doing that. Why is that? Um, Well, it started when I um, got my licence and I was given a set of keys pointed to the truck and trailer and told to go and load up. So um, industry thinks that because you're licensed, you should be good to go. But there's so, so much that you need to learn. So in our um, career with my girls on the highway for the years that we did it, we thought that um, if there was ever a, a, an opportunity to help newly licensed people, we would do that. So that's where um, our two companies were born from, um, helping new to the industry licensed people get that experience that they need so that they're safe and qualified once they get out on the highway. And uh, moving past or looking past today, what would you like to see happen for women in the world, even outside of this industry? I'd really like to see that equality is just that. It's equality. We don't need to to make a big song and dance about anything. So we'd like to take each individual for who they are and what they represent and what they bring to the table. So that that is true equality when we're all just um, promoting each other for what we do and employing each other for the benefits they bring to our business. Fantastic. Such a great and important message. Um, now, Cass, I'm going to brag a little bit here. Heather and I are about to go in for a, go for a spin in the big truck. Isn't that right, Heather? Absolutely. And I'm going to put you behind the wheel. I don't oh. think that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Um, when I go and stand next to it, I'll, I'll be lucky to even be able to reach the door handle, Cass. So um, <laughs> wish me luck. Of the road. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, but it is a beautiful pink, bright colour and I'm very excited to be a passenger maybe only. I will see how we go. <laughs> see how we go. I can't wait to hear the stories. Thanks so much. Dimitri Panagiotaris there speaking with Heather Jones, who's been training drivers. Looks like she might be training Dimitri now too since 2005 there. She's keen on promoting road safety, driver education and professionalism of truck drivers. So uh, some great initiatives there. I'm Cassie Huff. It is 12 minutes to one. Gaming probably started taking over my life during the pandemic. Excessive gaming changes the teenage brain. Australian Story meets Aussie families desperate for help. I've seen kids who are very depressed, very anxious. And the man helping them take back control. Wayne is so personally invested with these kids and wants to make a real difference. I'm kind of excited about how things are going to go. Australian Story, game changer. The course has changed a lot of things in my life. Streaming now on ABC iView on digital and on mobile. ABC South Australia and Broken Hill. Talking about today, changes rippling through traditionally male-dominated industries as young women use their go-getter attitudes to their advantage. And it's happening right now in the vet industry with the current cohort studying at university shifting from predominantly men to now primarily women. Lucy Cooper sat down with two students at JCU, the James Cook University, who believe the vet future is fairly bright. I'm Lucy Brown. I'm from Claremont. I'm Paris Wibley. I'm from Moree in northern New South Wales. Girls, a long way to travel to come to uni here. Luce, I'll start with you. Why vet? Why get into it? I don't want to say that I love animals sort of thing, but I have always loved cattle. Coming off a property out in Clermont, I've always wanted to do stud cows. I've fallen in love with the show ring and Santa Gertrudes particularly, and so I want to yeah, end up doing that and breeding cows and that sort of thing. So vet was sort of a prime place to be and place to go up here five hours away, so it's not bad at all. So <laughs> Five hours is fairly close in the country. Um, Paris, a little bit further for you, so why come and study vet? So similar reasons to Lucy. I um, also loved animals growing up on a property and coming out of school I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do but applied for vet and got in so thought it'd be a perfect thing to study to see where I wanted to go in life and after starting JC, uh, starting vet at JCU and I realised being a vet would probably be perfect for me. There's uh, so much you can do with it and so many different places you can go. Looking out at your cohort, is it female dominated or are you guys kind of a rarity? It's definitely female dominated. It's changed over the years. It used to be male predominantly, but yeah, it's there's scarce scarce males around, which is so good to see. Minimal rural people, which is super disappointing, but yeah, females definitely have trumped. Luce, why do you think minimum rural people? I don't know. I think it's just because uh, a lot of people from home especially have just it's too hard and They've decided to just go out ringing somewhere, which is great, love that. Yeah, but we definitely need more people in the bush, more rural vets, and that's something I think we're lacking a lot in, which is so sad. Yeah, Paris, they kind of talk about vets being really one of the most sought-after careers. They really need people in the industry. Um, I suppose you're not stressed at all about finding a job then, hey? (laughs) No, definitely. I think once I get out of uni, get through the course and get out... um, It'll be pretty easy to find a job, but I think it's pretty daunting for a lot of people to have to go study for five years, and that's five years where you don't can't work full time and have to scrape by with whatever money you can get. But I think the reward is definitely very worth it, and it'd be great once you get actually get out into the industry and can work. 
Yeah, and Paris, are you hoping to head back to Moree? Where do you want to go? Will you go back to the bush or will you go to a city to start off with? Uh, definitely back to the bush, without a doubt. It probably changes every day where I'm going to end up. Like, maybe yesterday I wanted to go to Western Australia and today, like, the Northern Territory would be really nice. But I reckon in the end I'll probably go back to New South Wales and end up working round home. Yeah, really nice. Luce, what about you? Where are you thinking? Are you going city or are you going back to the bush? Definitely back to the bush. I'm rural at heart, so I want to head, I don't know, probably back out at Claremont, do some repro out there, yeah, see what happens. Best thing about vet, I guess, is that there's so many, so many things available for us to do and we can go really anywhere we want to go. A lot in the media has been about the issues in the vet industry and, and it and it's truly seems to be such a struggle. How do you guys feel as young women entering the industry and, and really being aware of the impact that it can have? Yeah, it's pretty daunting. I've definitely seen lots of, especially watching Landline and various other uh, newspaper articles and things like that. I've, I hear a lot of stories of vets who just get so overwhelmed as they get out of the industry and it's pretty scary to see because they're just like normal people like us. But I think they also do talk about the support networks and the pe- just surrounding yourself with people that do make you happy and just getting by that way. I agree. It's very scary. It's talked about a lot here and we do a lot of um, mental health exercises throughout our course and yeah that support network is so so critical and as we in fifth year and go out into after graduation into the industry we are given those support networks and we're told you know who to go to where to go to you know the signs if you're feeling down and especially as you know working with other vets the signs of other people and really raising alert to them and making sure that they're okay. Lucy Brown and Paris Wibley, who are vet students, speaking with Lucy Cooper there. Mental health is something that is important in uh, the vet industry, particularly at the moment. There's been a bit of focus on that, but across rural areas this has become a focus and uh, deservedly so. The small community of Beachport on the Limestone Coast has actually decided to use International Women's Day to raise awareness of rural women's mental health. Linda Carter-Shepherd works as a mental health social worker at Beachport helping local community members, some as old as 99, work on improving their overall mental health and uh, she'll be speaking at the Beachport International Women's Day event tonight and says rural women can often face obstacles when trying to access help. Mental health is such an important topic to talk about any day but especially on International Women's Day. Women are in general givers and amazing people and there's such a high incidence of mental health issues amongst women in our community so I think it's a very important and worthy topic to to highlight in our community and especially on a day um, of International Women's Day. Do you think women are good at making mental health a priority? How do they kind of compare to the men, I guess, in that way? I think women are really good at making mental health a priority when they are uh, recommending other people to go and seek help, be that their children or their partner or their friends. Women in general are carers, compassionate, they are givers, but oftentimes they give so much of themselves that they, they don't keep anything back for themselves. So then when mental health becomes an issue, their reserves are quite limited. Yeah, they're not that great at identifying or even when they do identify it um, in themselves, not that great at seeking help straight away or initially because they feel that they can number one deal with it themselves number two that will pass um, or number three that they prioritize everything else above that 
And how are the services here in this space and how do they compare to some other areas? Um, in our local area, we are a little bit limited uh, with mental health providers. And we now, with the loss of our GP at the moment, that is also another issue uh, which highlights the lack of resources. Although we, we I think COVID um, has been actually a positive thing in one way because it has meant that the access to mental health services in rural areas has improved. However, in general, most of the people who get referred to me, although they may be offered a phone or a video appointment, would always prefer to come face-to-face. And for me, as a practitioner, seeing somebody face-to-face is always a good thing. However, for those people who live far away or have mobility issues or haven't got transport to come to Beachport, being able to offer that service via phone or video is really really good and are there enough people working in this space in the southeast not particularly not really at the moment i think mental health is a, is a tough area for people to go into and it's an area that people when they do go into it in their career they don't stay in there for a long time because it can be challenging and what are some of the signs that you might not be coping and it might be time that you need help? So basically any changes in behaviour or behaviour patterns would, could indicate that there is something not, not right. Um, I always say to my clients that sleep is one of those things that's extremely important. But sleep is also one of those things that when something is going on for you, it's affected quite quickly. So obviously if there are changes in sleeping patterns, changes in eating patterns, so not eating enough or eating too much, alcohol or substance use and extremes of behavior or emotions so crying all of the time not being able to get out of bed being more snappy or irritable with your partner or your children um, or just negative thoughts going around and around in your head so experiencing any of those emotions or thoughts at some stage is okay um, the issue arises if those emotions or thoughts are overwhelming or you can't kind of move on from them and what are some ways to maintain your mental health so it stays at a good level what are, what's kind of the maintenance you can do day to day so healthy mind healthy body healthy soul is one of those things that sounds very cliched but it is actually true so yeah getting into a good sleeping habit making sure that you're getting out every day eating well limiting your alcohol use or being mindful about your alcohol use connecting with people making sure that you are doing something that you enjoy yeah, so there are lots and lots of different ways that you can contribute to your own mental health. And why are events like this International Women's Day talk, how are they useful for spreading awareness and busting stigma? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for women and men to get together and talk about what's going on for them. One of the things that a lot of my clients will say is that sometimes they feel that they're alone or they're the only one experiencing mental health issues, which is definitely not the case. So having an, having an, an event like this where people can network with each other and talk to each other afterwards, people can come up and get advice, um, is really, really important. Do you think overall our mental health is getting better or getting worse in the region? It's hard to say, really. I think, like, yeah, I could probably work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And is that because we are getting, like, that mental issue, mental health issues are getting worse? I'm not sure. It, it could be that people are actually recognising it a lot earlier and are open to accessing help. So, I, yeah, it's hard to say. I would hope to think that as, as we are, uh, as a community, getting stronger and supporting each other, that it is more so towards that we're recognising and accessing help earlier. Accredited mental health social worker Linda Cater.
Shepherd speaking with Elsia Dahmer. And those interested in the event can head along to the Beachport pub from 6pm tonight. That's all from me, but Sonia Felgerhoff is broadcasting from the Adelaide Writers Week today. So keep listening. She'll speak to a variety of authors, including the first Australian astronaut to be trained in Australia. Hello, Narelle Graham here. Join me for Late Afternoons. You'll get a laugh as well as all the latest news and current affairs. Weekdays from 3.30, Narelle Graham on ABC. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.